Uh, this is Case Barnett from Law Profit, and I've been a trial lawyer for 17 years. And here at Law Profit, we're always in search of inspiration, always in growth mode, and always looking to learn from other people. And we're doing this series right now on origin stories because we believe that lawyers uh, can learn a lot from each other and that our personal stories should drive our practices and can actually improve the practice of law. So today we have with us Melvie Moore. Melvie spent 16 years as a prosecutor. She did more than 100 criminal jury trials. She's conducted hundreds of preliminary hearings, developed trainings for the Orange County uh, District Attorney's Office, various police agencies, colleges, and law schools. She's taught at Western State Law School. She's received the Courts Community Service Award for her work protecting families of domestic violence. She was a law clerk for California Supreme Court Justice Armand Arabian. She's been published in the California State Bar Journal, the Orange County Lawyer Magazine, and the OC Lawyer. And last year, the California Business Journal did a wonderful story on her and her law practice. She currently owns and runs More Law for Children. You can find that at More Law OC, that's M-O-O-R-E-L-A-W-O-C.com. And her firm specializes in legal issues related to children and families, including adoption, assisted reproductive technology, estate planning, divorce uh, and or custody issues, and representing children in school or court. She has been running this practice for more than 10 years now. And she currently has, I believe, five lawyers and uh, five staff members. Is that correct, Melody? That's correct. Awesome. And... Um, you know, you're one of those people who your personal story truly drives your law practice. And so that's what we want to talk to you today. So thanks for being here with us, Melvin. Case, thanks so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. So, um, you know, I just want to jump right into it and ask you, um, where does this story start for you? The story starts for me probably... It really starts back in the early time of my marriage when we started to try and have children. So that was in early 2000. And it took me and my husband eight years to actually have children. And so from there, I took a year off and then went back to my job at the DA's office part-time. And it really grew from there out of a need and a want to spend more time with my children, to have more flexibility, to actually enjoy them now that I finally had them. And uh, a, a fellow coworker kind of put the bug in my ear, let's get out of here and have our own practice and have more. It really started with a desire to enjoy the children I worked so hard for and waited so long for. Okay, and so let, let, me, let me dive in a little bit more there because your practice is about representing kids and families and helping these families stay strong or improve or through difficult times. And so mm -hmm. I know through what you share on your website that um, you had your own struggles in starting your family. Do you mind sharing with us a little bit about that? Because I, I see it as something that drives your practice. Yeah, I don't mind at all. And that's why I said my story really started in early 2000. As soon as we got married, um, I made appointments to see a fertility specialist because I knew ahead of time I was probably going to have issues. 
Um, I've had rheumatoid arthritis since I was a young child and my rheumatologist growing up told me I'd probably have issues. Um, so that was things I did after I got married was make an appointment. And um, it was clear from early on that it was not gonna be an easy road, mm -hmm. but we persisted through eight years of fertility treatments, um, IVFs, failed IVFs, a failed adoption, becoming foster parents. Um, we persisted and after eight years, we were able to have our family, two boys, one through adoption through Orange County foster care. And in the same year, we had our first baby born to me through egg donors. So it was a very long, intense, emotional, expensive um, road, but it led us to the family we have, so I wouldn't change any of it. But that really is where it all started because after all of that, when we finally had our family, um, I did take a year off with the baby, but when I went back to work, I found it hard. I found it hard being a working mother and I resented the mornings where I would send them off to daycare when I thought they were sick, but I couldn't really take another day off. And the days that I couldn't get to their little plays or I couldn't be home with them when they were not feeling good. Um, I'd spent so long trying to have a family and I found work, being a working mother made it really hard. So that's where it started. That's where I don't think I ever would have left the DA's office because I loved that job. I was passionate about it. It was more than a job or career. It was a calling. It was who I felt I was. I identified as it. But after so long of wanting children, I felt like I was missing out and we were always exhausted. And I just wanted more flexibility. I wanted more freedom. I wanted more time to really enjoy them. Uh, how did you handle the, that tension? that I think a lot of people experience, I think especially a lot of working mothers between the, um, the, the need or desire uh, or the, the passion for your work balanced with you know, the, the passion and need and desire to be a mother. Sometimes not well, sometimes <laughs> it's just survival yeah. mode. Right. You, I think, we do what we can with what we're given. And so I, that was part of the problem. I wasn't happy with how I was handling being a working mother. I was exhausted. I had short patience. I mean, I'm, I'm most exhausted in the morning and I'm most exhausted at the end of the day. So my coworkers were getting the best of me. My kids were getting the, the, the bad end of the stick. I was always tired when I was with them. So I did the best I could, I think as most parents do. But it was, wasn't the life I envisioned as a mother. I wasn't in, in getting the enjoyment out of it that I wanted. Um, I felt it to be a struggle. And I think people talk about getting that perfect balance. I don't think there is balance. I think it's a constant juggling act. And sometimes you keep all the balls in the air and sometimes you let them drop or you barely keep them up, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I still am a working mother, but leaving the DA's office gave me flexibility in being my own boss. And that's where I found my balance was because then I could decide when I worked for, you know, within constraints, of course, but it gave me that flexibility to spend my focus and my time and my energy with my kids when I thought it was important, as opposed to having a very structured work day from eight to five. Was there a, was there one moment that, you know, the straw that, that 
broke the camel's back or is there one thing that, that you finally said, okay, this is it. I got to get out. I got to go start my own practice. Yes, it was maybe three things. And it was, it was very hard for me to think of leaving the DA's office because like I said, I loved that job. I felt like I was helping people. I was helping victims of crime. I was holding people accountable. Um, you know, I've been working on serious domestic violence cases. I'm very passionate about protecting those victims. So the thought of leaving was very difficult, but I found when you're working for a big government bureaucracy, there can be problems. And I, there was a couple of instances where I saw problems and when I tried to fix them and sought leadership advice or help to fix these problems and were basically met by a wall, just saying, eh, we don't need to, or we need to. That was it. I'm like, if I'm gonna work for a bad boss, it's gonna be me. <laughs> So I, I was frustrated with the lack of control that I had to improve things where I saw improvement needed. So that was really it. I'm like, I, I'm tired of working for bureaucracy. To me, excellence is important and not that I achieve it all the time or that I ever achieve it, but I'm constantly trying to and I constantly try to make things better. So I, when I realized as an environment where excellence wasn't that important to everybody. And if people above me didn't want it or see the need for it, it was too much for me. So I thought it's time for me to leave. It's time for me to get out of here because of all the other struggles I was already facing with a very structured workday, um, very stressful job. And actually after being away from it for a full year and going back, I kind of saw that it's, I was surrounded by sadness every day and tragedy whether it was someone who is now facing serious consequences for a poor choice or their family members or the victim who suffered the serious consequences or their family members. It's, it can be a very sad place to live in, exciting as a career, but I realized after being away from it for a year, what I was constantly surrounding myself. So that feeling the sadness of it going back with a whole new perspective, the struggle being a, a working mom, and then the what really pushed me over the edge to leave was the resistance I was getting to make it a better place to work and improve the lives of our county and our citizens, that pushed me over the edge. I really thought if I'm gonna have a bad boss, it's gonna be me. <laughs> now, was, was there a lot of planning involved before you left or did you just kind of pull the ripcord, jump out and, and start going? There was some planning and I would say not enough, but a, a friend of mine, coworker, it was her idea I did ruminate on it for three months before I, I committed because at the time I couldn't imagine leaving, had never thought of any other area of law that I thought I would like to practice. But she intrigued me because the idea originally was a, a law firm just for special education, special education advocacy. And I thought I could really like that because my whole career has been driven by working on behalf of women and children. So I thought, I don't know anything about it, but I could really enjoy that. Um, and be passionate about it. So it took about three months of me still struggling with being a working mom and then these decisions being made above my head. And once I decided to leave, we took another three months before we left. So we started thinking about and doing some planning, but not really doing enough. We could have done a lot more ahead of time. What sorts of, so tell me about the planning that you guys did do and the planning that you wish you had done differently. So we looked, we thought about our name. We thought about, uh, we looked for office space. 
Um, we looked for a website designer, but didn't have the website designed. I would have done that ahead of time. So day one, it was up and running. It took us three months to get the website done. So we had three months with not even a website. Mm-hmm. Um, we read a book about opening a solo or small practice. I would have read a lot more books. I um, would have maybe gotten some systems in place. Um, I can't recall if we already had business cards and a logo designed, but the really important things like systems and a website were not done ahead of time. Obviously, getting a lease was important and we did do that and we did have a name and we did register with the state bar um, as a partnership. So those are the things we did ahead of time. Um, but there was, we weren't ready to really jump into business. We didn't have any marketing. Um, we didn't have any marketing strategy. We had what we thought was a business plan, but I didn't even know really what a business plan was. So I think on the business end of it, we could have done a lot more. Um, we had also, we were starting a new area of law, special education. Both of us were prosecutors. So we ordered books and tapes and videos. So we started educating ourselves, of course, which is very important. Um, but there was definitely more on the business end that we could have done to be prepared. And how, you know, we talked a bit at the beginning about how your personal journey uh, drives, I think drives your practice. Do you, do you feel like your personal journey with becoming a parent and the adoption process and all that, do you feel like that drives your practice? Absolutely, because when we first started, my partner had a son with autism who'd been in special education his whole little life. He was 10 at the time. And that drove her. And as we were developing our business plan and our website, I said, hey, do you mind if we also practice adoption law and assist reproduction law? Because that drives me. That's how I got my boys. And she said, absolutely, let's do it. Let's make it more of a children's type law firm. So we focused on those two areas. And then not coincidentally, but I had both my boys tested for special education after that, and they both needed speech and language services. So I went through the special education process as we were opening the firm and got to experience that from the parent side, which really helped me from the legal side because it gave me that perspective. I can tell parents, I know what it's like to walk into that school um, conference room with all these school people and you're on the other side of the table all alone and you don't know what to expect, what your rights are and what's happening. So that gave me some really good perspective and continues to this day. Um, I had a fight for special ed for one of my children, even though I was a lawyer now practicing in this area and I let it go long. So I made the same mistakes that my clients do, which we don't know mistakes of the time, but we learn. And so it is very personal for me to help parents with their kids going through special ed. And it's, of course, really personal helping parents become parents through adoption and assist reproduction. Um, that is my favorite part of the day because it's very happy law. It's joyful. It's, it's often miraculous how these families come together. And so that is really, really special to me. And then we have expanded into those other areas such as the estate planning and family law because we really see a need areas for our clients to be able to keep it in-house and help our clients in all these different areas that relate to family and children has been very rewarding. It's incredible. I mean, it gives me, it gives me goosebumps hearing you talk about it. <laughs> and and your, your website, honestly, um, <laughs> that your website gave me goosebumps. Um, I Something that we believe in is that origin story and telling it, you know, and, and just li- and telling and living it, right? Um, I think there are a lot of lawyers out there 
who uh, go with that traditional lawyer presentation. You know, they're, everything reads the same. They feel like they have to present a certain way, right? That formal, here's, here's me in front of a bunch of leather brown books, um, yeah. you know, um, and I'm tough. But um, I think that not only is it better for your practice, but it's better for your humanity when you're able to live your, your story through your practice. And I, I, I think you do that and it's refreshing and it's awesome. Was that difficult though at first, sort of stepping outside the, the, the lawyer marketing box and presenting yourself so openly? No, no, that's just me. Um, I think I've always been an open book. Um, one of the, my favorite things about starting a new business was designing our website. And our original website looks like you were looking at a wall with a collage of photos on it. And each photo was like a different area, like who we are who, and the areas of practice. Um, we've always used photos that are our own family members or our clients. So you won't find a stock photo on our website. Those are us. There are clients, there are family members, there are friends and their children. And so to me, it's always been important to be open and to be honest. And I think in this area of really suits that because we are dealing with parents, parents who want to grow their family or parents who have children that are in need of help. So it really does suit this area of practice, but I've looked at your website and your website was the same. We both have the beach scenes. We both have our families and I'm with you. I think that will attract a client who appreciates that humanity. And there are definitely be areas of law that that is not suited to, but you're right. Even in, in business, when someone's starting their own business, they want a business lawyer, but it's nice with someone on that personal level. In, in our areas of practice where we're dealing with families, I think it's, it's very suited. And um, it's definitely worked for me. I mean, a lot, a lot of clients tell me, I called you or I hired you because I loved your website. I liked your story. And some people have been referred to me, I'll get on the phone. And the first thing I do is I tell them, I've been where you are. And then I tell them, I went through, if it's an egg donor contract, I did this. I went through eight years of infertility or if it's their children in special ed, both my boys went through this. I know what it's like. And you actually see them kind of soften and they say, wow. And all of a sudden it's a different relationship. And I enjoy that better. It's not a marketing strategy. That's what I enjoy. I enjoy working with people that I like and that I can connect to. So for me, it wasn't a, a marketing strategy or tactic. That's just what I enjoy and what I wanted out of this business. And it's the same way I connect with my team. It's, it's personal to me. And so that's the kind of clients and the kind of employees I want to attract. And I think that's what's amazing and beautiful about your story is that you do you and it attracts like-minded people. And, right. and it, it creates an overall happiness with the practice. And it sounds like with life um, by just doing you. And I think that's scary for people. Yeah, it's scary for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I think some people do feel they need to be the tough lawyer with their arms crossed in the dark blue suit, you know, with the lady justice behind them or the books. Yeah. Um, and that might, that might be them or it might just right. be what they think they need to be. And I guess my advice would be do what's you. If that's you, then, then that's the way you should rise. 
or if that's the kind of client you want. Because I remember when we were first looking at office spaces, we looked at some beautiful buildings in Irvine that were these, you know, 10 foot story buildings with marble halls. And I just thought our clients are not going to feel comfortable in the appearance of a young child who perhaps has autism or a severe learning disability and they're nervous and they're thinking about their little child, this is going to be intimidating and overwhelming. But if I was a multi-million dollar business wanting to do an acquisition and merger, that's the kind of office building I want my lawyer to be in. So we looked purposefully for a place where we would feel comfortable and our clients will feel comfortable coming into. And uh, even our office here, I want my office to feel more homey mm-hmm. and comfortable than cold and sterile um, while still being personal. So I, I think that's the kind of place I want to work in, but it's also the kind of place my clients based on the type of case they're coming to me for, want to be in. Yeah, I think that's really important too, is that, is that you're thinking about the overall feeling people have when they come into your space, you know, with, it, with everything, when they encounter everything about you from the website to your office, to the phone call, I think that you, it's all independent and all comes out of you as opposed to looking to somebody else and fitting someone else's mold. I think that, that moved me when you said that about, um, you know, if you are that person, who is the, the the person in the dark blue suit standing in front of the books? If that's you, then then do you, but don't right. feel like you have to become that person to be a successful lawyer, run a successful firm. I agree. Yeah, that's and that's it. And I've been to a ton of educational trainings and webinars, and that's what they say in marketing. That's what they taught us as trial lawyers. Don't try to be the funny guy, if you're not the funny guy, don't try to be the screamer. If you're not the screamer, be you. That's how our jury will connect with you. And that's how you gain credibility by being you. Um, You have to put on a little show in front of a jury maybe and and talk a little louder or clearer than you normally would, but you still want to be you for that authenticity because that's how you gain someone's trust. And honestly, when you're running your own firm, in my opinion, you don't have the time or energy to always be putting on an act. There's a lot to do. The last thing you need to be doing is acting, right? (laughs) You just want to do what you do as you do it. And I will attract the clients that connect with you. I couldn't, I couldn't possibly put on an act all the time if I wanted just to portray someone else. If people don't like me or I'm not the right lawyer they're looking for, that's okay. They'll find someone who's good for them. But what I found is we don't really usually have problems because everyone coming to me is a parent or wannabe parent. And so we're coming about and talking about something very personal. And it's nice to have a lawyer that's compassionate and connected and experienced that for this particular area of law. It works. Yeah. And I, I think that works in your area too. And in any family law or estate planning practice, when you're dealing with family, that kind of connection, I think, is more important than maybe some other types of law like business law, contracts, insurance, defense, those kinds of things. Yeah, but I still find it a, like a, I still find it a brave and powerful choice though, because you, you have to be okay. When you make a bold choice like that, that you're going to do you and present yourself this way, you are going to attract a certain type of client, but you're going to reject a lot. And mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing because you're rejecting the people who don't want, who don't want to work with you as a person. But I think that there's a lot of people that are so scared about rejecting or losing certain people that they, yeah. they just present themselves from the middle, right? And I, and, and I think that's, um, I think they do themselves an injustice in doing that. Yes, yes. I mean, I think there's a time and a place 
to put on an act. If you're someone who's maybe too forthright (laughs) to the point of being inappropriate or abrasive, which works with the people who know and love you well, like your friends or family, you maybe want to tone that down for clients. Um, But then again, maybe you don't. And I know a lot of lawyers who don't and their lawyer, their clients love them for it. Um, But you're right. And I think that's one of the mistakes all lawyers make, especially in the beginning. And if you wisen up, you'll make that mistake less and less is taking any client. The clients that aren't suited to you are going to make your life miserable. So it's, you might as well from the beginning, be who you want to be. And you're right, it won't attract all clients, but they're probably not the clients you want to work with anyways. So we have to learn who are our A clients, who are the clients we want to work with and strive to work with those and actually have the courage to say no to others. Because I think we've all learned taking the wrong clients can cause us misery. Either they don't pay or they complain or they make your staff miserable or they threatened complaints to the state bar or make complaints to the state bar. So I think it's important lesson that I certainly learned is when to say no to clients or when to say goodbye to clients. Um, And we can't be afraid just because we need the the case, sometimes that case, you don't need that. We never need that. And it's a hard lesson to learn, especially when you're new and trying to build, you feel like you need to take every client and any client. Yeah, it's hard to have that faith that if if you do you, present it the way that you, that, that you believe and reject those clients in all ways through your marketing, through your conversations with them, that the right clients are going to come along. The right business is going to come along. I think that's, um, it takes faith. Um, so it does. Yeah. So I also, you know, I also want to talk to you about, you'd mentioned, uh, frameworks and certain frameworks in place for your firm that you wish you would have had at the beginning. And it sounds like you've established them now. Can you talk to me about some of the frameworks that you believe are important to your practice and its success? Yes. So one of my biggest problems is with organization, which is ironic because in my normal life, I'm very organized, but there's so much to organize in a business. And it's very important from the beginning to have systems and organization in place so that you're not recreating the wheel. If you have a really good intake system in one case, you want it saved so you do the same thing consistently with improvements over time. And if you write a brief on one issue, you want to save it so you can find it again and not have to think three years later, oh, what was the name of that case where I briefed this issue? And have to rely on your memory, which case it was, and then go find that brief because you briefed it. So you want to have a brief bank where every issue you brief and research, you save it in one central place. You want to have a system for opening and closing cases so cases or steps aren't missed. You want to have systems in place for, you know, opening and closing the office, for intakes and scheduling calls, for accepting payments and opening mail. Um, And then everything that's done has to be systematically organized so it can be found by anyone who's going to either come in new or take over if you're out sick. It's just so important to have these systems. And it wasn't that I didn't want systems when we were first starting our business. We just didn't know what we needed. Um, And so it was that ignorance, not lack of wanting to do things right, that hurt us. And in the beginning, when we had all the time to do it, we didn't know what to do. And by the time you know what you need to do, you're so busy with clients, your client work comes first and takes priority. And so all those systems get pushed to the side. So over the years, I've created a lot of systems 
Um, none more so than this year, 2020. Um, things slowed down for us when schools closed, you know, our, our cases kind of stopped from March through June. And then it's always quiet July through August. So we really use that time to improve our systems and policies and procedures and uh, get things organized. And uh, we now have a, a system for hiring, we have a system for firing, we have a system for training and onboarding someone new. So we have a system for almost everything. And where we don't have systems, we're still building them. Um, I've read books uh, and, and, and they express the importance of systems such as the E-Myth for attorneys. Um, I joined a coaching service or um, I don't know if you call it a coaching service, but it's a coaching company called How to Manage a Small Law Firm, where they teach you really how to run a business and not just the, from financials to marketing, to systems, policies, and procedures, to sales, to taking care of yourself as the owner and taking care of your people. And then your factory, as they call it, you know, the, the property that you're in, your computers and equipment. And it has been uh, instrumental in me improving my business. I've been a good lawyer because that's what I was trained to do. And that's what I've done for a long time. But being a business is completely different from being a lawyer. And I always thought there was three parts. When I started this, I'm like, oh, I've got to be a business owner and I've got to market and I've got to be a lawyer. I thought it was three jobs. But when I joined this coaching company, they taught me there's seven parts to a business. So it really taught me a lot. And then they have these coaches that kind of help you in the different areas. So um, I saw what I was doing well, but still learned how I could improve. And then I saw where I wasn't doing well, which wasn't necessarily a surprise for me. That was the area of financials and how I could improve. And I think that's the other thing I learned and maybe is a good lesson. In the beginning, you do it all, but it's important to bring in experts like bookkeeping and accounting. And then as soon as you can to bring in and probably sooner than you think you can, an assistant or help so that you can do your hourly legal work and run the business and you have an assistant doing the administrative tasks, which are very time consuming. But having someone else there to do them frees up your time to do the other things. So those were things that have helped me grow the business end of it and feel more comfortable and confident in that area. And how do you think you've improved? Like, what did you do to, because I think a lot of lawyers have issues with running a business, right? They, they, they go into it. If I'm really good at the law, then everything else will fall into place. And you and I both know that <laughs> doesn't really work that way. Um, how, how did you get a handle on the financials? I still wouldn't say I'm a full handle on financials, but I have a part-time CFO. I meet with them once a week. I have a bookkeeper who's outsourced. So she does my books every month. And then I have learned what the dis some of the different financial tools are um, and data such as profit and loss. And I look at these different financial statements. We have a, a forecast, a budget forecast. I have a financial budget where we actually look at the year coming up and all of our um, expenses that we know are steady and will come every month. And then what we're projecting for those unexpected expenses or areas we want to grow. And then we actually have a budget and then we compare the budget to what we're spending. So it's a matter of knowing your numbers, having a budget so you have a plan and then keeping on, on track of it, keeping on top of it. 
Um, it's smart to keep on top of it every week. I have a weekly financial meeting when we talk about how much money we brought in and I kind of know how much do I need to bring in every week to meet my basic expenses mm -hmm. and how much do I need to bring in to meet my goal. And so if one week I fall short, we look and, and kind of say, okay, this, this week, I just kind of keep, you kind of keep an eye on it. And that way you can make adjustments, whether it's to spend more money on marketing or less money on that office party you were going to spend because you didn't make as much. So it's a, a matter of really educating yourself and then bringing in the experts. I think it would be a huge mistake if I were still trying to do my own books. Um, I've never been able to do my own books. Um, and a huge mistake if I was just relying on myself. So for me, having a, a bookkeeper I trust and having these weekly meetings so I keep on top of it with the level of knowledge that I have. And then that expert and the part-time CFO, the chief financial officer, to help me talk through those questions. I got a chief financial officer when I joined How to Manage, which was about two years ago, because at that time I really wanted to grow, but I didn't know if I could afford it. I wanted to hire someone new. I didn't know, can I afford it? I wanted to move office space because we were totally had grown out of where we were. Could I afford it? We needed new computers and, and printers. I didn't know. I knew what I wanted to, I knew where I wanted to go. I knew where I wanted to be. I knew what we needed. I didn't know if I could afford it. So to get that chief financial officer to look at my numbers, to look at how we'd been spending, how we'd been growing financially, and he could project where we would be if we kept on the same trend, he was able to advise me, yes, you can afford this now. This you should wait on. In three months, let's look at it again. So to have that kind of expertise there to guide me and help me and give me the courage and not just courage, but expert advice that yes, this is a reasonable expense and this is what you need to do to grow. Help me take that next step. And within a matter of six months, I had quadrupled my office space, hired, bought all new equipment, uh, started marketing, and I never would have had the courage because I knew I was working out of want and not information. Um, so I was able to have that kind of education and advice and then go forward. So for me, that was key. Um, it was worth the investment and having a chief financial officer help me. Um, but because I had been struggling maybe for two years before that knowing I wasn't a good business person and knowing I didn't know my numbers and thinking, God, I need a business partner who has an MBA, but I don't want a business partner. I don't know anyone who wants to be my business partner who has an MBA. So I was reading books and I was going to webinars and I joined, I had got a business coach, but he didn't focus on law firms and I didn't like, he just kept telling me to start a newsletter. And I'm like, I hate newsletters. I'm not doing it. <laughs> and then I joined like one of those peer groups where they're all small business owners and we come together like our own little board, but none of us knew what we were doing. So I'm like, none of this is right. And then I found this coaching group that was specific for law firms. And I'm like, this is what's right for me. And that kind of helped me propel to the next level. That's, that's really exciting. That's, I think that's something that uh, a lot of lawyers are afraid of with their law firm is, is they, they don't have the information. One, they don't have the information. They stick their head in the sand about it. And they just look at the most simple, simple math they can to keep their lights on. And those, those decisions you've been making are huge for the growth of your firm. And it sounds like it's put you in a great spot to weather this last year and move forward. Yeah. And I think I was definitely one of those lawyers. I knew how much I had in the bank and I knew what my monthly expenses were. And, and those were the two numbers I worked off of. 
um, but I never had a budget and I never, I, I just didn't have this other expertise. I didn't have reports that I was looking at. So it really has helped me see where I need to be financially in order to where I want to grow. And I don't want to grow indefinitely. Right. I don't want to get much bigger. I'm happy being a small offer. My goal is not to expand to multiple offices or have 20 lawyers. And that is the goal for some people. I am comfortable being a small law firm. That's where I want to be, but I want to be the best and most profitable small law firm that we can be. So um, yes, knowing your numbers and financials or bringing in experts who know them and can, that you can trust that will help guide you is very important. And I also want to ask you, you know, I think a, a big question people always have in, in starting their own firm or, or even if they haven't trying to move forward is generating business, whether it's mm -hmm you know, marketing online or, or how people do it. So can you share with us what's the best way that you found for you to generate business? So it's important to have a website. It's important to have a LinkedIn presence because if people even hear about you through word of mouth, that's where they're going to go to check you out. So you need to have an online professional presence. The next thing is, so I would definitely invest in a nice website get your LinkedIn done. You can even hire people who, will, who are experts in LinkedIn to get a nice professional site going. Um, your website should have SEO. You know, when we first started our business, we paid a lot of money for a website. Didn't realize it didn't have any SEO. So we had to hire someone new to do that. And the day the SEO turned on was the first day in three months, we got calls from our website. We got two calls, two calls on one day. That sounds like nothing, right? But we had three months of no calls. So <laughs> SEO is really important. Um, depending on the area of law you're in, different marketing strategies will be more successful. What was very successful for me, um, and I think for most lawyers, is referrals through other lawyers. So it's important to network. And there's a lot of opportunities for that through the local county bar association. You can get involved, join groups, go to the meetings, meet people. Um, I joined a group called Provisors, which is professional um, advisors. And it's a lot of lawyers, not all lawyers. It's open to all kinds of professions, but there's a lot of lawyers. Um, and that's where I get most of my referrals because, you know, if anyone needs a lawyer, they'll ask whatever lawyer they know, can you do this for me at an estate plan? And they'll ask their business lawyer, can you do this for me? Or they'll ask their family lawyer, I want to start up a business. Can you help me? And we all say, no, would you go to your podiatrist if you need a brain surgery? But you ask whatever lawyer, you know, so the, if, lawyers know what you do, then we cross refer to each other. Um, I think I was lucky. I'm in a very unique niche area of law. So the lawyers I meet don't know a lot of other lawyers who do what I do. So they don't even even really need to know or like me that I'm the only one they know. But I've spent a lot of time and invested a lot of time in getting to know my legal community so that they do know me that they do like me and they do trust me. Um, and I am a social person. So I meeting other people. So for me, I really enjoy networking. Um, my business partner that I started with decided to be a full-time mom after a year and a half. So then I was a solo and I was lonely. So I really enjoyed getting out and networking, um, which turned out to be the best thing for my job because I got, that's how I get most of my referrals to the state is from other lawyers or professionals that I've met through networking who hear about a need and refer me those cases. Um, social media has I enjoy it and I engage in it, but we don't get a lot of work from it. Like if we 
run ads on social media, respond in a lot of business. But I think having for us a good social media presence, then I think those people who know about me from social media, when they have a friend who needs someone, then sends them straight to the business. So we do a lot of social media engagement, um, not as much advertising on social media. We've started some Google ad campaigns where you pay per click. Um, and that helped us initially get a good organic search result on the website. So, you know, we put some money into the online advertising, um, not a lot, but it helps them get you up in those organic searches. So people will then find you. That might be different for other areas of law where there's a saturation of lawyers, such as maybe family lawyers or estate planning lawyers or business lawyers. You may need to spend me. Um, and do print ads and things like that. We've done very little of that. I've tried to be visible in my home community. So I'll sponsor like local school teams and get the banner put up in the gym, things like that. Um, but I think for me, definitely the most, um, the most return on investment has been the time I've spent networking and getting to know other lawyers and professionals. What do you think the worst piece of advice you've heard someone give someone else about building a law firm or starting their own law firm? Hmm. The worst piece of advice I got was to go to the courthouse and hang out in the hallways and try and find clients. I was just <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I, and I said no. And it's funny because that lawyer ended up going into business on their own. And I, so I gave them the same advice, like with a smile on my face and they looked at me and they wanted, they were about to tell me I was crazy. And then they realized that was the advice they gave them me and kind of just smiled. <laughs> I am not going to the hallway I'm trying to get like jurors or defendants. Um, that was the worst piece of advice I got. I think, I'm trying to think of any other advice. I don't think I got a lot of advice, maybe just lack of advice. I wish I'd gotten more advice. Like right now I would advise don't get an office, especially now. We've all learned you can work remotely. If you need, if you want a professional address, you know, you can rent a mailbox and conference room space. So, because that's, that's one of the biggest expenses when you first start, well, for any law firm. So if you're starting out, I would say get a virtual space. Um, and then the next piece of advice I think is hire someone sooner than later to do that administrative work and free up your time to do the legal work. Um, those are two things that I think a lot of lawyers make mistakes on. Um, and then people who do their own billing. Unless you're really good with numbers and you love math and you enjoy it, I would say get someone as soon as possible to do your accounting. Um, because we're traditionally known as lawyers not being good at math. And it's something you want to do right, especially when you're dealing with trust accounts and client money. You need someone who knows lawyers' accounts and, and IELTA accounts and make sure you have a professional you can trust doing that. But yeah, I think that was the only really bad advice I got. I guess I've got some other bad advice about, well, I got conflicting advice about, you know, don't ever start work unless you've been paid in full. And then other advice, oh, you know, payment plans. And that's kind of hit or miss. Sometimes people pay you and sometimes they don't. So it's definitely a better practice to, get the money up front or have a significant portion up front and then do a payment plan um, and definitely have things in place to track when people need to replenish their trust accounts. 
Um, cause I've definitely done a lot of pro bono work that I did not intend to be pro bono. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, I always do pro bono work, but I like to choose those cases <laughs> in knowing it's going to be pro bono, but yeah, that was a good question. <laughs> what, um, what do you think if there's one thing that, that you could choose, like the secret sauce for more law for children, right? Mm -hmm. the, the secret sauce, what, what is that one thing that has gotten you to this position today? It's my team. I've, I've had two people with me, not since the beginning, but since there's been growth. And that's my partner and my office manager. And I could not have done it without them. When I started this practice, the goal was to spend less time working, to spend more time with my kids. But what, <laughs> it's really hard to spend less time working and, and all this time with your kids when you're starting a new business. It takes an incredible amount of time. And of course, there's those things you can't change like court dates or IEP meetings. And um, when I got these two amazing women working with me, there'd be times that I needed them to meet my child who was getting off the bus because the bus wouldn't let them off the bus unless there was someone there to meet them. And I wasn't going to make it back from court on time. Or I needed someone to go let my dog out or walk my dog because I wasn't able to get out of that mediation that was going on and on and on. And so I had these amazing two women who never minded that I asked them to help me with my children or my dog. I didn't have them do groceries or pick up dry cleaning, but they helped me with my children and my dog all the time. And, you know, if I couldn't find a parking spot, I'm in downtown Laguna, they come out and get my car whilst I could run in to meet the client who was coming and they drive around until I found parking. So I had this amazing team and it's advice I asked my dad, it was a very successful businessman. What was the one piece of advice he would give me for my business? And he said, find people who care more about you than they care about themselves. And that sounds unrealistic and impossible, but I really feel like these two women care more about me. They will sacrifice for me. And I will sacrifice for them. And you can't find all your, your team members to be like that. But if you can find one or two, it's amazing. And they've watched, they have gotten me through this. Um, and like I said, I would do anything for them. Both of them have had children over the last six years and they have brought their children to work, not just once or twice. We set up a pack and play and a high chair in the office and they brought their children to work. Uh, one of them brought her dog to work. It's all about being there for each other. And with our firm, it's about, I always say family first. And they were there for my family. I'm there for their family. And so to have these two team members that we've grown and I have other now amazing team members and lawyers that really we care about each other. And so they've had my back. So if you can find one or two people like that who are just gonna always have your back and be there for you, that's what gets you through. Um, everything else you can hire, you can educate, you can train experts and get the information, get loans, but to have a one or two people that just care that much about you and the business, I think that's the secret sauce. And I've been really lucky to find at least two. And I would say more now, the team I have is incredible. So I'm very, very lucky. And how, how do you find these people? Luck. You know what, I'm gonna say they found me. Um, a lot of the great people found me. And that's another thing. I always will take phone calls and 
set up meetings or coffees for people who call me and say, I'm really interested in your area of law. So my partner, she was a law student. She called me up and said, I'm interested in adoption law. Can I meet? And I said, sure. And then she said, can I do an internship for free? I'll get school credit. And I said, sure. And after that, I said, I don't want to let you go. Will you stay if I pay you? <laughs> and so that's how I got her. Um, and then some of the lawyers too, same thing. They'll call me up and say, I'm really interested in special ed. And I am like, I think you're amazing. Come work with me. So a lot of them have found me. Um, I now have also, I feel like almost perfected the system as much as I can for hiring when I'm looking for someone new. I've gone through Indeed or some of those other programs. Um, but I have a seven step hiring process where I'm going to weed people out and where there's multiple interviews and written interviews and tests and they're interviewed by different people um, so that I'm not the only one making the decision. And our last couple of hires have just been amazing, but hiring is a really, really hard part of the business. Yeah. It sounds like you've created a great framework for doing that. I mean, that, that's, it's, it is hard to find that and it's incredible. You know, I believe that when you put stuff out in the universe, when you put out the kind of love that your firm puts out in the universe, it's going to come back to you. And it sounds like you've done that combining it with the framework you have for hiring. It's, it's magic. Yeah, it's been a lot in trial and error. When I first, I like everybody case. <laughs> I don't have a good like filter. And so I've hired a lot of people, especially in the early days that were nice, wonderful people, but were not good to work with or couldn't meet the demands of the job. Let's put it that way. And so like when I first had Monica here as a law clerk, that's my partner now, I fired three people that summer. Every time she, she was always afraid to come back to work. So I'd never fire someone when she was there because we shared one little office. So I'd always say, are you coming in tomorrow? And she was always afraid to come back because someone was always fired. I hired like fired three people in like three months. But, and I was wondering at first, is it me? But I realized it wasn't because she was amazing. And before her, I'd had someone amazing who left to go to law school. So it's really hard, especially when you like everybody. So I've learned to become more of a businesswoman and to be more discerning that it's not just about liking someone. It's about making sure they have the skills and the work ethic that is going to make me happy and going to work in the firm. Um, and that requires a seven step hiring process. Um, and even then, some of it's luck. But, you know, again, it's just like clients. You're going to draw and attract and what's going to work out are people that are like you. And, and sometimes you have to make the hard decision and say goodbye when it's not working out. Um, that's a hard part of being a business owner. I want to ask you, what are some disempowering beliefs that you've had to overcome in building your firm? And then what are some empowering beliefs that have propelled you to where you are today? Those are good questions. So by nature, I am very optimistic and positive. And I've always valued positivity uh, from some early childhood, like life aha moments and life lessons. I've realized the value of looking for the bright side, appreciating what you have, knowing it could always be worse. So that helps me because, and especially now I've been doing a lot of reading um, self-help books, some of them for personal growth, a lot of it for business growth. And there's a theme about positive thinking 
And if you think positively, positive things will happen. And if you're grateful, the universe will bring that back to you, like the law of attraction. So I've never really, I think what has held me back is my imagination. My imagination was limited to how much I could grow or how much I could earn. I remember doing a business plan workshop with this coaching group that I'm in. And they had you set like how much money, all the things you wanted in, the, in this world. Like, and I put down everything I'd want in the next 20 years, like including you know, both kids in college and around the world trip. And then they had you put prices to it. And then they had you break it down. Like how much would you need to make to get all that in the next 18 months? And when I saw the amount I need to make, I literally started to cry. And the coach was like, what's wrong with you? I go, I can never make this much money. And he goes, why not? There's idiots who make this much money every day. Trust me, you can do it. And, and part of me is like, I didn't even plan on making it in 18 months. You asked me what I wanted for the rest of my life. But I literally started to cry because it was like such an unrealistic number to me. And so I think we sometimes limit ourselves by believing what we can achieve. And if you'd asked me 10 years ago, are you going to run a firm, you know, and have an office in Laguna Beach and have 10 people working for you, I would have laughed. Um, so I think it's important not to limit your imagination that where there's a will, there's a way, um, positive thinking, figure out what you want and then work backwards. My most empowering beliefs are, I think I'm lucky, like I said, I've always been the glass half full. I love that movie Pollyanna when I was a little girl about always looking for the good in things. Um, I read a book about a hundred secrets to being happy and almost all of them were about having a positive attitude. So I've learned early, be positive, be grateful for what you have. Um, I believe in the power of hard work and I'm learning that hard, working harder doesn't necessarily mean it's better. So I'm learning with these systems, policies and procedures, working smarter is the way to do it. But I think I've also been very lucky in that um, I had parents who instilled a lot of self-confidence in me. I always felt like they were there if I failed to catch me. And same with my husband, he was very supportive when I wanted to go out into private practice and we had him and his, his salary and um, he had our health insurance covered. So I, I've had a safety net. So that definitely has given me an advantage. So I felt like even if I failed, I was going to be okay. But the lessons I've learned over the years, and I think what I need to keep me going, especially during hard times, is the fact I've made it this far, a lot of it by luck. It's only in the last few years I've really been learning and growing and realizing how much of it was by luck. And so if I, it's that empowering belief, if I've done it before and I've made it this far, I can do it. I just have to work hard, stay positive, draw the experts and the supports that I have helping me with this firm. Um, those are the most empowering beliefs that I can do it. And I do a lot of positive self-talk, a lot of visualization and a lot of affirmations. And some of it's like half-hearted belief, but I believe it works. But sometimes when you're doing it, it's hard to believe it's gonna work for you. So, but I keep doing it because it doesn't hurt. And um, I, I'm lucky to 
have gotten where I am now and I'm very happy and I do want to grow the firm. We have some recovery to do after last year. And so I'm really excited for this year. And the more I learn and the more we put in place and the more we market, um, you know, the better I feel about everything and the happier I am. Um, it's all about being a happy lawyer, a happy person and having happy clients. So uh, I just have to keep doing it one day at a time, one case at a time. Melody, that's awesome. I, I really, really love your story. I love what you do for people and I love the passion with which you do it. So um, thank you for honestly making the practice of law better and for sitting down with us and sharing your story. I think you're going to inspire a lot of people. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I love talking about this and sharing. Um, I've always enjoyed sharing and trading and teaching. Um, so I'm happy to share. There's no secrets here for me. I'm happy to share. I think the more people who do it better, it's better for the rest of us. So call me. I'll give you those seven steps to the hiring process and anything else you need. And uh, I think if more of us also were to do that and help support each other. Um, and that's one thing maybe I didn't talk about. I had mentors who helped me find a mentor and uh, be a mentor and uh, it'll be a better world for all of us lawyers. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Melody. Ha have a great day and uh, we'll be talking to you again soon, okay? Thanks so much, Case. All right, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.